if the miners think that the market favors a different chain than the one that we have right now, it would be entirely rational for them to make that chain a reality instead of one, yeah, for yeah. example, that contains a hack or a double spend. Welcome to Consensus Distributed from Coindesk, where you'll find live recorded talks and discussions from Coindesk events and more. Today's talk was recorded live at Coindesk Distributed on May 11th, 2020. This episode is sponsored by ErisX, the Stellar Development Foundation, and Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. In this session, MIT Media Lab's Neha Narula, independent researcher Hasu, and Bank for International Settlements' Raphael Auer discuss the implications of Bitcoin's having with Coindesk's Nolan Bowerly and Bailey Reitzel. Let's go over to the having clock, and we're four hours and 52 minutes away. I don't have the exact clock that we're at right now, but uh, that looks like it's coming up. So a few hours away. Um, now, we've got Neha Narula, the director of the Digital Currency Initiative at MIT, Raphael Auer from the BIS, um, and Hasu, who is from the internet. Really interesting guy. Hasu, we're going to start with you. Uh, for those that don't know, Hasu, hey there, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Um, for those who don't know, Hasu is an independent trader and a lord of data on Twitter. Hasu, can you just take a minute to explain the having, what the block subsidy is all about, and why it matters for security or maybe for other things in the Bitcoin uh, protocol? Yeah, so um, we're all here today because the having is a big event for Bitcoin scarcity and it's stock to flow and that's how it's been talked up, but it also has a big impact um, in securing the network. And to show how I want to briefly describe the problem that Bitcoin solves. And the problem that Bitcoin solves is to get many untrusted computers to agree about something. In our case, the order of Bitcoin transactions. And in order to get that, you need all the people to accept the same updates in the same order. In Bitcoin, anyone can propose updates, which are called blocks, and then the other people can look at them and evaluate them. And the way that you get everyone to accept the same updates in the same order is to make everyone choose the most expensive one. That's what proof of work does. It proves something was expensive to make. And the more expensive a block or series of blocks was to make, the more trustworthy it is. And that's where the block award comes in because miners only spend as much money on these proofs as we pay them for in Bitcoin. So if the block award is used to create trust in the history of the ledger and the block award decreases, so does the cost that goes into making the blocks. And the end result is that recent history becomes less and less trustworthy. Um, right. Now, I do want to mention uh, a quick side note. Um, most mm -hmm. folks who have had avatars after coming on Coindesk have ended up getting rid of their avatars. They've made their introduction with an avatar and then afterwards got rid of it. So we saw that with Whale Panda. We saw with Willy Woo. No one even looked, knew what he looked like before that. So, Hasu, we might actually see you in person in the next few months. Um, yeah, uh, I, I wanted to ask a bit about the security trilemma. Um, now, this is an important uh, um, way to, let's say, triangulate yourself without having to make. Can you describe it for our listeners? 
Um, actually, I think Raphael should describe it because uh, that was his idea. So, Raphael, why don't you why don't you talk about your security trial? Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me here. It's a great honor. Uh, let me just quickly say I'm going to be talking a bit about my research. I'm not going to be talking about the views of the BS. So um, today's halving of the block subsidy sort of puts forth a problem for Bitcoin, which is that you need a lot of income for miners to generate payment security, as Hasmu just said. And the fee market doesn't generate that income. It comes from the block subsidy. 99% of all income comes from, from, from this block subsidy that is going to have today and again and again in the future. So as 99% of the income for miners go away, 99% of the security will go away and we could see a future where Bitcoin could be much more prone to, to majority attacks as smaller cryptocurrencies already have. However, that's not the only possibility. And to sort of map the range of possibilities, I've sort of uh, put down a little triangle, which is the security trilemma, which means in brief the following. There are just trade-offs. For those who are fans of Bitcoins, basically what they like is they like that it's a scarce asset with a fixed supply of eventually 21 million, that it's a liquid trading market, the fees on-chain are not very high, you have to wait for a reasonable amount of time, and three, that it's decentralized. Now, the security trilemma says that you can have it all, and you will have to forego or make compromises along one of these three dimensions. And, and so, for example, that's straightforward. I don't think it's going to happen, but you could just have stop the phasing out of the block subsidy and, and, and keep generating that minor income via continued supply growth. And obviously, you'd have to go past the 21 millions. It's a theoretical possibility. I don't think it's going to happen because obviously there's a social contract that people dislike it. Um, there are other options. And one other option is that the market could become less liquid. So as the subsidy shrinks, security will come down and you will just have to wait for more confirmations. So you could uh, just, you know, you, you make a payment, but it's, you just have to go to wait days, weeks, or even months eventually. Otherwise, you could have much higher fees. And again, I'm talking about 100 times the fees that we observed to, to now. And the third possibility is that Bitcoin somehow institutionalizes. There are a couple of, of possibilities here. I think Nea and Hazu will walk you through some. I obviously think that the likely one is that we'll see more trading on regulated exchanges where trading doesn't really happen on the chain. It, it happens on these, these big marketplaces that we already have. And, and, and then essentially, these are institutions that guard the value of, of Bitcoin and, and their regulatory issues, but it's not really the proof of work technology. Support for this podcast and this message come from ErisX. With ErisX, you can trade spot and regulated futures on cryptocurrencies through a licensed US-based exchange. ErisX believes in fair access for all. Sign up today to take advantage of zero fees and learn more at erisx.com slash consensus. This episode is also sponsored by the Stellar Foundation. The Stellar Network connects your business to the global financial infrastructure. Whether you're looking to power a payment application or issue digital assets like stablecoins or digital dollars, Stellar is easy to learn and fast to implement. Start your journey today at stellar.org slash coindesk. Our final sponsor is Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund. In times like these, diversification is key. Consider Grayscale Digital Large Cap Fund, ticker symbol GDLC. It's the only publicly traded investment product that offers diversified exposure to large cap digital currencies, all from your brokerage account. 
For more information, visit grayscale.co slash coindesk. That's G-R-A-Y scale dot C-O slash coindesk. Yeah, so just going to pass it to Neha. Um, yeah, what do you think the outcome will be? Or what, what's your um, what's your prediction there? Yeah, uh, I don't like to predict things. I think <laughs> I think that's a, that way lies madness. But I will say um, the security of Bitcoin, you know, a lot of people think, OK, it's been 10 years. They see the billions of dollars, the massive amounts of energy. And they say, obviously, Bitcoin is incredibly secure and we don't need to worry about it anymore. And I think, um, you know, some of the work that we've done and some of the work that some other people have done has shown that actually we should not take that for granted. Uh, the, the book has not been written on proof of work. We really need to expend a lot more uh, mental cycles trying to understand it and trying to make sure that uh, what we think is happening is actually happening. And so uh, something that we've been working on at MIT is we've been working on a lot of monitoring and a lot of tools in order to actually see what's happening. So something that's really surprising to me is that um, mining pools make up a large percentage of Bitcoin hash rate, yet it's not really the case that miners are actually even paying attention to what kinds of blocks they're mining on. Uh, they might not necessarily be looking to make sure they're even mining on the right chain, which means that miners could end up having their hash rate being used without their knowledge for an attack. So we're working on tools to try to prevent something like that from happening. And similarly, uh, a lot of coins and a lot of reorgs and double spends actually don't even get detected. Um, a student at the Media Lab uh, is working on a detection system for reorgs, and uh, he's surfaced um, several different reorgs and double spends over the last several months that uh, most people haven't even seen, including what we saw which chain? in Bitcoin. In smaller coins, right? In smaller coins, yeah. So, so one of the most interesting ones was in Bitcoin Gold a couple months ago. And what we saw there was actually really amazing. So Bitcoin Gold has been uh, double spent a couple times. And in fact, there was a very large multi-million dollar double spend on Bitcoin Gold a while back. What we saw were smaller double spends, but we also saw this really interesting pattern. So oftentimes people think, okay, there's been a double spend, a reorg, that's it. Uh, but there's actually something else you can do. You can counterattack. Um, so we first proposed this in a paper and a lot of people sort of came back to us and said, ah, we don't really think who's going to counterattack. That doesn't make any sense. The idea being that the, the miner um, who was stolen from or the victim who was stolen from could actually get their own hash rate and come back and attack the attacker. Uh, and we actually saw that happen in Bitcoin Gold several times. So I think what this shows is that um, this whole space is getting a lot more sophisticated. We're seeing miners and other actors start to realize that there's a wide array of things that they could do. Might not be a good idea for them to do them, but they're experimenting. Um, and looking at the smaller coins is really interesting to think about what might happen to Bitcoin in the future. So Nea, yeah. I hope you can join us on the show tonight. Um, I want to get over to uh, Hasu real quick. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to ask, um, is there any interesting data you're going to be sharing on Twitter for your uh, followers out there? Something that we can have a preview of? What are you looking at? Um, so maybe I could instead uh, say a word of, uh, in addition to what Nea just said, because uh, what people are not, what people don't really realize today is that we all almost had such a counterattack scenario um, on Bitcoin last year. Um, in May 2019, the Binance lost 7,000 BTC um, to a hack. And in the aftermath, in the hours after that, they considered publishing um, a series of Bitcoin transactions 
where if th those transactions would have been mined, would have given all the 7,000 BTC to miners. So, but that would have required the miners to reorganize the chain and basically establish the, the history where, where Binance still has the coins and gives them to the miners. Um, it's the old DAO move again. That, sorry? It's the old DAO move again. Yeah, uh, that shows that Binance would have been willing to incur the full loss of 7,000 BTC, but give them to someone else just so the hacker doesn't get them. And that would have been, in my opinion, incredible for the ecosystem uh, and for Binance uh, as an exchange because it would have greatly diminished basically the attractiveness of attack them in the future. I just want to make one point really quickly. It's not exactly like what happened with the DAO and Ethereum because what happened with the DAO was a hard work. This could be done without changing any software whatsoever. Mm. People could just uh, run commands on their computers and do this. So, so everyone agrees to lie, I guess, would, would, would be the way uh, you describe everyone it. Everyone agrees to sort of direct their hash rate in a different way, and they can do that without changing the software. Okay, okay, okay. And it's not necessarily, it's not lying in the sense. So the way that proof mm. of work is supposed to work is that the market expresses uh, what kind of chain they favor and then the miners need to basically speculate what that chain might be. So uh, if, if, if the miners think that the market favors a different chain than the one that we have right now, it would be entirely rational for them to make that chain a reality instead of one, yeah, for yeah. example, that contains a hack uh, or a double spend. So, so I, if I may come in here, I have a question to everyone. And the question is the following. We're beginning to consider the possibility that proof of work alone might not be enough. We are considering, you know, like tiny tweaks and so forth. Where will this end? Like when will these second layers run into problems because those that were supposed to be the second layer actually, you know, abuse their power? And, and ultimately, how, how different will this end from, from, you know, a regulated or a, a normal intermediary based exchange? It's a great so thought to end on because we're going to follow it up at the show later on today during the having, Raphael. Thanks a ton. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to Crypto Talks from Coindesk. For new short daily episodes, you can subscribe with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. This session featured Neha Narula, Hasu, Raphael Auer, Nolan Bowerly, and Bailey Reitzel. It was recorded live during Consensus Distributed 2020.